They came in when the grid crashed. Never saw them coming. Called themselves the China America Corps. Lies Incorporated. We all work for them now. Hired me to find a computer virus. Destroy it before it makes the jump to human host. Some say that's impossible, but I've already seen it happen. In my dreams. Hello and welcome to the show, Robert Nishat from Earth Final Confidence, who's uh, going to be talking to Mark's Pyong and I about a new project he's been working on, which is seeking crowdfunding on Indiegogo. It's a project called God Machine. How are you doing, Robert? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Really nice to be here with you guys. Okay, well, well first off, um, I'll, I'll get the ball rolling by, by asking, um, how did God Machine come about and um, how much... Um, creative input did you have into it because I believe you're you know you're not only one of the stars if not the star one of the main characters but you're also a producer on it yeah I have it's one of those like friend of a friend who I guess wrote a script and you know sitting in your sort of like classic Greek diner in Brooklyn you know the guy basically passes the uh the manuscript to me and I took it home and it started out I think the title was I am girl and uh, I said, well, you know, I don't, I'm going to have a tough time pulling that off. I don't think I make the most attractive uh, woman. Um, <laughs> and so eventually it, it did evolve into this, you know, new working title or actually it's going to stay uh, God Machine. But it had all these uh, pretty cool elements. Uh, I guess the most provocative one that I always talk about is the uh, eventual sort of Chinese corporate takeover of certain states within the United States. So to me, I think I was just hooked by this really, really, you know, provocative scenario, which, you know, could be very, very well uh, true in a matter of, you know, 10 to 20 years. Uh, consider our our indebted nature to, you know, the ubiquitous Chinese. Um, but sort of in broad strokes, it just had it had that premise as well as some really, really fascinating science with a little bit of sort of Eastern mysticism thrown in there. So the combination, oh, and also some pretty cool like martial arts fight scenes, which I don't know if they're still in there, but uh, the combination of those three or four elements. And I said, oh, wow, this is this is pretty cool. Uh, however, the you know, the script always lacks structure. So we've been banging away at the structure uh, of this thing for, I'd say, a good maybe three, maybe three to four years. Cool. Um, Matt, so I'm, I'm going to hand, hand over to you now, mate. So you guys went from the story idea to then creating a short film, correct? Yeah. And so <laughs> how's a short film going to differ from the, the feature film? This is the crazy creative process that this, this project has gone through. So I know my limitations as a writer, which is I've never written all those, you know, books you're supposed to read on screenwriting by, what is that, Robert McKee, you know? <laughs> And so I don't know anything about structure. And I always, we were always looking for somebody who understands structure. So then originally the, uh, the lead character was going to be played by um, an Asian American actor. Guy was in the, I think, Karate Kid. His first name is Yuji. I can't remember his last name. But Yuji dropped out of the, um, the project because of the, I guess, what he thought maybe the volatile nature of 
sort of like what Red Dawn went through with uh, portraying the Chinese as, you know, these as the devil. And I guess because of his other business pursuits, he decided to back out of the project. So the writer, Rich, uh, Richard Craner, I was at a sci-fi convention on Long Island and I was talking to him on the phone. I said, well, what do you think if I played the lead? So, you know, because I have that, you know, the history of Earth Final Conflict. So, you know, we bandied that about for maybe two minutes and I realized, okay, I just talked myself into, you know, the role. (laughs) Um, Then I think Rich lives out in the boondocks in some place called Pulsebow, Washington, which is sort of a ferry ride from Seattle into the deep woods of the Pacific Northwest. Sounds like a Canadian planet. What's that? <laughs> sounds like a planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you said it sounds like a Canadian planet. Um, <laughs> no, so that, that sounds like Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so he has, uh, so his girlfriend, I guess he was building the sets in his girlfriend's detached garage. And she was threatening him and saying, you know, I'm going to, I have to rent this garage out. You know, we can't, you can't have your sets in there. You know, you can't, you know, all this whole thing. So he's like, all right, I've got to shoot a short film. So with the problems we were having with the script, the, he, the, he decides he's got a date to shoot the short film. And so I'm waiting um, for the, for the, I guess the script of the short film. And it shows up in my email and it's 22 pages of indecipherable mishigas, as, as they like to say in Yiddish, <laughs> mishigash or whatever. So the 22 pages of the short film, I was like, there's no through line. So I, I get my friend Scott Gunderson. I said, Scott, we've got we to work on this thing because we're shooting this thing in, in the, outside of Seattle. And there was absolutely no narrative through line in the short whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So we show up. And we start shooting and we're writing, re, my friend Scott and I are rewriting Rich's work. Now Rich is sort of like, I call him like the uh, genius retard. Um, <laughs> he, he has either these brilliant ideas or he's about as thick headed as, as they come. So we're discovering a story within this short film as we go. And I think what we did to sort of like maybe sum it up is that we and I or I, I take responsibility because I, I am like the executive producer, which means, you know, it's my cold, hard cash that went into it. I indulged his sort of unconscious director's auteur's journey through this short film. And as exciting as it was, when we came out the other side and it came to the editing process, I thought that there just wasn't a story there. Uh-huh. And so he and I just fought vehemently. You know, I threatened to take the footage and drive to a guy I know in Ohio who was supposed to do visual effects and I, I was gonna edit my version with his team. Oh, it was just great drama. I mean, I remember sitting at this, the, the counter I'm at at the beach here, drinking like, you know, two six packs and pounding my fist on the bar because we had these creative differences about what's working and not working and writing hate emails that I never sent. I mean, it was just absolutely crazy until eventually a story emerged. And I think that the short film has a really interesting, dynamic, sort of lyrical journey to it. There's nothing straightforward about it. But I think that that's kind of cool. 
I mean, I, I watched it, as I said in the email to you yesterday, I started watching it, but then I had to stop about five minutes in because I had to go to a music class. <laughs> so, um, so I made an effort and I watched it yesterday and um, it did it. It just sort of like seemed, seemed to have a nice flow to it. It feels like a dream almost, how the imagery comes across. Yeah, it's almost like, I I call it sort of like just a, sort of an unconscious journey. And if maybe, it's like, yeah, it's trying to figure out a dream the next day and go, I don't know, there was this image and then I found myself over here and there's a white flower. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of like, maybe you piece it together and maybe you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's, there's a few different ways to interpret certain parts of it, because I would be interested in seeing, is that what you're going to do in the film, though? Or are you going to like... Here's our challenge now. So what happened was we had another big powwow, another like, another battle on a hill. You know, is this the hill to take? Is this the hill to die on? So basically what we decided was, we're, we're a team of three writers. So the other guy, Scott, Scott and I decided, all right, here's the plan. We have to sort of like rein in this crazy horse we have all these metaphor analogies to say like don't give him too much leash make sure he doesn't go off the rails you know just kind of like you know keep him on basically a short leash so what we decided to do was give him uh notes on what we we thought the short film would be the first act so we gave uh rich notes on the second act he came back with something that was really linear and something that we could follow we gave him notes on the third act he came back again. Then I thought, wow, this is really cool. We're going to achieve both um, objectives. We'll give people like this crazy, like unconscious, like you know, multi-interpretation beginning. And then we'll take you on a real great like action adventure romp through the second and third acts. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is when Rich transcribed the short film to the page to technically be the first act, it's unreadable. <laughs> it really is. I have a friend of mine who's filming down in Puerto Rico. He went to a bar and he said, Robert, I'm, uh, I'm gonna read it. He tried twice. He said, Robert, I, I can't even make sense of this. I said, oh no. All right, so now, so basically what we did for acts uh, two and three, we've done for act one. And so now I think we're on the cusp of having a first act that I really think is close to being what we need to sell the project. Mm -hmm. So I think we're gonna have actually two different projects. I think we're gonna have the short film, which is like I said, it's sort of the auteur's vision. And then we're, I hopefully, we're gonna have a real linear, sort of marketable, more accessible, you know, three act uh, feature film. Cool. Um, one one thing I kind of found a little bit ironic in this film was uh, was the uh, the android in question. She was working at a brothel, and I found that kind of ironic, given that you know, so like the days day and age, you know, you got you got STDs, which we've always had and stuff like that, and uh, all the safe sets and stuff like that, and yet they're going to they're going to a brothel with androids. And, you know, you'd think with androids, you wouldn't have those problems. And all of a sudden, this one android becomes infected with a, a virus that can sort of like uh, create the Big Bang. kind of funny. I know, it's like all puns intended, right? The Big Bang, blah, 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 you know. 
<laughs> the big, big, big bang. <laughs> right. Was that always the in 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 the script to to basically have have the android lady you know with the virus working in a brothel? Was that sort of like always part of it? Or? I think yeah. I think I think from the inception, I think she's always been in in the brothel. I guess the only thing um, maybe we've bandied about is you know how to how does she become infected? Sort of like you know how yeah how and where does she become infected? Uh-huh. Because we've established you know that the um, the virus originates in this place called the Forbidden Zone. So you know having some I work with uh, you know actually this one director on Earth Final Conflict who looked at the script and he said, Hey Robert, I'll give you a suggestion. I see he says have the main character get the virus you know from her you know in the brothel. Because he said, after all, you know, men are men. He says you can track all major diseases, you know, through the world. And he says, you know, they're always going to start, you know, sort of like, I guess, along trade routes, you know, where men sort of like congregate. Um, But I think what's interesting about it is that when we say virus, you know, virus has a negative connotation to it. And I think the irony is more that this virus is actually a um, a mechanism for transformation and evolution. Mm-hmm. And so I think that w- I think it's kind of good to sort of like lead people to believe that, you know, this is sort of like, you know, your typical den of iniquity. Um, and yet, you know, what we want to do is show how this really has found the perfect host in this, you know, perfect Android and sort of the the quantum leap that this virus allows her to take through, you know, her own transformation. In an ideal sense, you know, we could make it kind of seem a little, you know, uh, sexy, maybe illicit. But I think by the end of the the script, we actually wanted to like be shining like a, you know, a pure light of, you know, hope and inspiration. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've got to say, I felt the uh, the whole brothel thing was actually handled quite well. Um, as in, you know, it was more more suggestive um, as opposed to sort of like going all out and 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 going the route of say something like Spartacus from Mud and Sand. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, or Caligula. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like obviously as a bloke, I prefer the Spartacus from Mud and Sand, but I thought you know it was quite cleverly handled where you guys did did it because it makes it more accessible to so like maybe maybe people that are not old enough to watch Spartacus from Mud and Sand. I think the real challenge that we've always had, uh, and this is you know a long-standing discussion we've really engaged in, is why is this main character you know hitting women over the head with a sledgehammer? And I, that's the part that it just felt sort of like gratuitously, uh, you know, violent. I never really, you know, until we eventually found out, you know, you could kind of justify and say, well, you know, they're, they're androids. They're not really women. You know, the character John Lee is trying to kill that part of himself that, you know, is mechanical or, you know, through represents his implants that uh, you know basically makes him feel less human what's interesting is that in the in the future script we kind of like skirt the issue altogether you know it is a little bit violent but it it's sort of violent in a different way 
Um, so I think we've kind of like um, excused ourselves ourselves from that dilemma. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's oh well, you know, there was another line in there that my uh, that my girlfriend listened to, and you know, and she just something about a dead baby. And uh, she was just like, Robert, you know, you can't have that line in the short film. And it, it's it really is crossing the line. But, you know, it's almost so dastardly and nasty. And, and uh, it, is, I think the, the writer meant it to be so sort of like nonsensically inhumane that it, it I think it kind of works. Is that the one where the other soldier, he was left in the thing, I think. Is that the one where the other soldier goes in there and is commenting about... He's asking the, the woman how far he can go. And he goes, does that mean I can do you doggy while you're eating a dead baby? <laughs> exactly. And that one doesn't really sit well with the, all the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? And then, <laughs> and then sometimes I realize I'm like, you know, I, I've, I've been to a lot of sci-fi conventions and you realize there are a lot of women there. But, you know, I think sci-fi fans have thicker skin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like... You know, if you go to a random, like, focus group of some film, you're like, you know, you walk into this world and you realize, no, this is a world where you turn things on its head. And I think because maybe I've been around it or maybe my girlfriend's just a, you know, just a nicer person than I am, (laughs) more more sensitive, more compassionate, probably, which I know she is. Um, But then I sometimes think, all right, are we just making a dude's film here, you know? Um, I'm tempted to say to your girlfriend, well, you know, the thing is, you've always said that women are actually better at multitasking, you know? <laughs> it is true. <laughs> oh, Jesus, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> ah, it took me a second to get that. <laughs> oh, so I think I think the real challenge we have is to um, right now, you know, I've had my brother-in-law, my nephew, they, re- you know, they read it or they know they've watched the short film. They they'll read the script. And I think maybe now what we're we're struggling with, maybe in a sense, is, you know, how likable is the main character? Uh-huh. And, you know, I don't know if he's got to be likable, but I think we're we're, we're sort of attempting to sort of like, um, you know, maybe put a, a little remedy to that as well. Not make it sappy. Not make it too sympathetic, but just I think you have to, once you strip away all the sci-fi and all the philosophy, you know, it still has to be a uh, a human s- story or a human struggle on some some level. Mm-hmm. Are you adapting a short film to make it Act One in the feature film, or is it going to be spread out and changed? I think that um, well, I think right now we've evolved to sort of saying, yeah, the the short film is going to live on its own. Mm-hmm. But whatever we need to do to make the feature, I think, work now, sort of linearly, I think we're going to kind of stick with that. And there, I think the the concepts, the um, maybe the the broader concepts of the short film will stay. But I don't think that there's going to be much. Um, there won't be. I think because the the short film never really was that sort of like linear as a narrative anyway. So all those elements will be there, but in varying forms, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I, you know, I rather enjoyed sort of like seeing you uh, 
seeing the scene between yourself and uh, your your older buddy Yvonne from Mars from her final conflict. Um, <laughs> it kind of brought back memories of some of the exchanges that you had with him on, on the show. Did you find that the chemistry just flooded back when you did that scene with him? Well, what's interesting is, you know, Bond's actually been through, he's been through the ringer in his personal life. I mean, it is, it's sort of like, a, he's actually writing a, his own sort of script based on his crazy, crazy, um, I guess, his crazy life that had turned into. So sort of, I guess, getting back or traveling up to Toronto to film that one scene, because I just thought we needed it. It was actually sort of maybe like meeting up with an old friend, but wondering sort of like, you know, that one eye that says, so how's it really going? You know, like, you know, have you, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, I have a big comparison um, of this film to sort of, uh, to uh, what's it? Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, you go up the river to meet, you know, whether it's Kurtz or to meet your own inner demons. And <laughs> I think that that's a, a lot of what this, this journey always seems to me like, you know, you're going somewhere to discover something. You have a hunch, you know what it's like, but you don't really, really know how it's going to manifest. Mm-hmm. And I guess because Vaughn really, you know, Vaughn has such strong ideas that, you know, he was directing it. He was creating his own sort of like production within a production. It was really pretty wild. I was like, OK, I, I, I'm going to indulge him a little bit and then I have to pull him back. So it was it was pretty interesting. I mean, especially with his, you know, his shaved head and and everything. It was really it was really pretty interesting to see everything that he's got going on in his personal life sort of show up on screen once again. Mm-hmm. It was a good scene. I kind of wanted to see a little bit more of him like later on in the, the short film. Yeah. You know, I wanted to see him come come in at the end because the way the short film ended, it's all like it just seemed a little bit too perfect. Mm. You know, when you when she's so like she's crying for the first time and um, and, and you sort of like you, you pretty much say, you know, well, that's a human thing. <laughs> It, it's right. it's the British side. It's it's too happy of ending. They all need to <laughs> die in the end. <laughs> death, 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 destruction. Kill, kill, kill. Doesn't anybody torture anymore? Iron of Rackman. That's a bit of a bad Doctor Who joke there. <laughs> Well, you know, what's great about um, about filmmaking is that, you know, we shot the short, you know, I said, basically, I said, we have to have Vaughn in this one because, you know, he's a he's a great sort of like marketing ploy, you know, to reunite us. But I always thought that the character of John Lee needed to be sort of seen vis-a-vis, you know, the this Asian sort of like domineering force. So we shot the whole short film, I probably in August of whatever it was. 2011 and then i guess new year's eve 2011 to 12 i said to my girlfriend i said we need this scene we're driving up to toronto to shoot the scene with vaughn and i said we need this scene at the beginning of this film so you know we we got my little honda we went up there i borrowed equipment from a friend i have a canon 5d mark ii special effects guy from ohio had sound equipment so we met up in toronto to shoot this one little scene and of course, when they came back on my coverage, it was, I don't know, they weren't reading the the bars in the frame right or whatever. So I got cut off. 
So I went to my friend's house in New Jersey and we went down in his basement and we recreated some sort of backdrop that looked familiar. So on Vaughn's shot, we're in Toronto. On my coverage, we're in my friend's basement in New Jersey. I mean, it's just, it's sort of like that magical, you know, hodgepodge of putting together a short film. Well, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know that. So, uh, yeah, so the odds of getting, you know, another scene with Vaughn, I was like, all right, man, <laughs> we've just, we've reached the limit. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it'd be great to see him in the, uh, in the main film, you know. Well, the cool thing is that we, we definitely resolve, you know, the, you know, sort of the setup of Vaughn in the, in the main film, you know, there, there definitely is a, uh, uh, Chairman Fong payoff. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. talk a little bit more about the film and the Indiegogo campaign because you have a few other sci fi celebrities that are attached to it, right? Would you like to talk yeah, about that? A, yeah, sure. Um, I worked with uh, Marina Sirtis on an episode of uh, Earth Final Conflict. And I guess I didn't understand, maybe even at the time, what an icon she was. And I guess, you know, maybe somebody must have schooled me later on. And, you know, I had seen her at sci-fi conventions and I was just like, this chick is just super cool. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, when someone said, no, 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 this, she is like the epitome of, I guess, what sexual allure for every, I guess, next gen fan. Mm -hmm. That's so... And I guess I don't, maybe that was one series that maybe just eluded me. So I I didn't really understand um, how far reaching her her sort of like uh, her fan base is. Yeah, I um, I remember seeing her in Star Trek: The Next Generation when it first came on the air here in the UK. It came on the air here in the UK in '87, I think. Oh wow! And I was about seventeen. I've yeah. got to say, I was having feelings of great joy. Great joy. <laughs> <laughs> and rapture and joy and more joy. <laughs> My pants. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, the great thing is, is that, you know, I guess, because I saw like a publicity photo of her and it was up on our own website and I was like, Oh my, oh my, oh my God, <laughs> you know? So then, then I, then I went back to and saw some of the, you know, the, the shots where I guess when she was actually in, um, in character on the show and I was like, oh yeah, now I see you're just a, you're just a sexy little vixen <laughs> and she's just, you know, and she's just really, really super cool. So that when I reached out to her, I didn't have her, Maybe I had her number at some point, but I called, I think it was maybe her manager or, or emailed her manager or something like that. And, you know, when I was chatting to her, I, I realized like, oh, she's just, she's just super cool. Mm -hmm. I think what's, what's ironic about, you know, all this like, you know, sci-fi and, you know, cutting edge of all the, you know, she says, Robert, I want nothing to do with Facebook. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, Marina. So she's just a little, uh, I think she's a little like, I don't want to use the word old school, but she's a little retro. <laughs> yeah, but then again, on, on, on Facebook, um, you, you, you do get people, you know, sort of like private messaging the, the celebrities on Facebook all the time. So I think it's, it's also probably a privacy thing as well for her. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and, and it's quite understandable. 
But, you know, to be fair, you know, she can play some kick-ass women as well. You know, I've, I've actually seen her, you know, so I, you know, in, in some pretty kick-ass roles as well. Oh, really? You know, she, so she's got both the sex appeal, but she's also got the attitude to, to sort of like her to do kick-ass too. Mm. Well, I was talking to her and she said that she's uh, she's actually she's doing a lot of um, uh, Middle Eastern uh, uh, character stuff now. So she's like maybe like a with a Farsi accent. You know, we're going to ask her probably to do maybe a, you know, a Russian accent in uh, God Machine. So she's really adept and she's just really, I think, you know, broadening what she's done already. It was really funny. I was at a, uh, a sci-fi convention in Las Vegas hanging out with uh, Eugene Roddenberry. And there's this guy at the bar next to us. And I didn't really kind of know who it was. But somehow we started talking. And then my buddy Scott says to me, he says, oh, that's LeVar Burton. And all of a sudden now we're like, oh, no, maybe it happened later. And I was like, oh, man, he could play this Thelios character in God Machine. And it's kind of cool because we're also kind of, you know, fans of, you know, I know him from Roots way back when. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, like, Eugene Roddenberry is actually kind of, I think, a bit of a fan of LeVar. So I said, hey, Eugene, you know, that's LeVar. He's like, you know what, Robert? I actually don't really know LeVar. So it's kind of funny, you know, when you just assume that everybody knows everybody. <laughs> so it, it kind of humanizes this whole thing of like, going, wait a second, but that's, you know, that's LeVar. You, you like, you just, you guys just don't know each other. It's like, no, no. All right. <laughs> like, okay. It's a little my own, my own naivete, you know. I'll I tell you who would be a really good person if you could actually, if you could actually get her in God Machine. Uh, yeah. Nichelle Nichols. Oh, yeah. That, that'd be sort of like, that'd be quite, quite a catch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have, um, so Marina's, um, you know, sent me a, a letter of commitment. So she's, she's on board. What I want to do is kind of continue to dimensionalize her character and, you know, make sure that, you know, she's really got something, you know, fun to play, I guess, for lack of a better word. Is, yeah. is there anything you could tell us about her character? Is her character or a version of her character in the short film at all? Yeah, she, she'll play the uh, the brothel madam that was played by that, uh, I guess her name is Svetlana, is the actual actress in the short. But actually, Marina would take over that role. Oh, okay. Is Svetlana's middle name uh, Nutcrusher? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I, I, I that was winced, a painful scene, yeah. I actually winced. <laughs> oh, poor guy. I'm not going that place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I told her, I said, just go for it. She was like, really? I mean, because this girl, I mean, Svetlana, she, she's, she, I think she was a part-time maybe bodybuilder. And, you know, so she's she's no joke. She can kick some ass as well. So I told her, I said, go ahead, you know, just give it a, give it a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> that man's nuts. Grab him. <laughs> this guy's pain. <laughs> yeah. So the only good the only good thing is maybe Marina will get to do that. <laughs> there you go. Something You're like, hmm, who can I have played that part? <laughs> yes, yes. We'll have to work on that part. <laughs> oh, damn me. Be uh, sure be sure to wear a steel undergarment or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The old cod piece. 
<laughs> Marina might have a bit of angst because she, she actually played uh, somebody or his girlfriend in Death Wish 3 and she got raped and killed. So she might have a bit of angst left over from that. So might oh. have an idea. <laughs> Death Wish 3 based on, uh, you mean the uh, the Charles Bronson? Yeah, she was in the Charles Bronson movie, Death Wish 3, and she played one of the uh, neighbours in the neighbourhood that I moved into. There was a couple and she was kind of like the girlfriend of, of this couple. And right. uh, they, they they had a bit of a role, role in it, and uh, she she was subsequently raped and killed, um, yes. died in hospital, and uh, that that song like an event that kind of had this guy looking to help out Charles Bronson in his quest to you know clean up the neighbourhood. I gotta tell you something that 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 that, that uh, Kirsty character from Death Wish from the Death Wish films uh, is incredibly unlucky. <laughs> Gets together with someone, they die. He goes after the people that killed him, and then you know. <laughs> and it happens again and happens again. It must be the most unluckiest guy on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> but you now that was one of her. That was one of her early roles when when she when she went to the states. Ah, okay. And 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 the only reason I I've known about it for quite a while, but I it it, it sort of came fresh in my memory because I actually watched Death Wish Three the other night and so it was on TV and thought, cool, I'll give this a go. I've not seen it in ages and. That it was. Oh, that's funny. Are there any other sci-fi celebs there that have uh, committed to the movie? Well, we have the uh, the sort of inimitable uh, Jason Carter mm-hmm. from uh, Babylon Five. Yeah, it's like Marcus. Um, yep, yep. Hey, the and, character in Babylon Five, I love Marcus. Oh yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's sort of the uh, he plays a character who's going to be. As John and Grace, um, you know, as we end the uh, the short film, they sort of are heading off into the, uh, I guess, into not the sunset, but we're actually back into the Forbidden Zone. But in the feature version of it, they um, they have to find the uh, the Omega Man. The Omega Man is the the person who uh, basically unleashed the virus, mm-hmm. and so in order to uh, get to the Omega Man, they need to pass through sort of like. Uh, what do they call it? Um, there's a name for it. Uh, it escapes me, but it's almost like it's sort of like a the under the city of the underworld, and so ah, so yeah, so exactly. Sort of like the you know the black market. I don't know what they call it. There's a word that my my writer friend uses to describe it, and I can't remember what it is. It's not Sin City. It's Something like that. But anyway, so Jason will be playing sort of the leader, Gabriel, who basically is just another obstacle for John and Grace to to get to this Omega Man. Mm-hmm. And so he's sort of, a, you know, a cunning manipulator, a guy who'll sort of like, you know, sell his sister if it sort of like increases his his worth. So it's um, I think it's a great role for him. It's, you know, sort of all, all his. I think he can be up to all his antics and, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of like the, you know, ideal budget, you know, for the film. If we can, you know, build all these fantastic um, sets, then, uh, you know, it'll be a real, uh, real interesting part of the script, I think. It, it, you know, it's too bad Charlton Heston isn't still alive. You could have had him play the Amiga Man again. You could have uh. had it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, maybe a little reference to get your hands off me. <laughs> get your hands off me, you dirty ape. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. 
So, um, yeah, so we have him. And then we also have um, J.G. Hertzler from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Nice guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the only thing with that we're disappointed is that, you know, we just call him. He's got a pretty – he's got a, actually a really good role, but he doesn't have a name. We just call him the militia leader. And <laughs> – we almost feel like we're insulting him because we also have a commitment. Well, we have commitments from JG. We have it from Jason and, and from Marina. But we didn't even have the decency to give JG a, a proper name. <laughs> and so we're kicking ourselves now going, yeah, he's, he's the militia leader. That's that's just lame. <laughs> well, you know, you could, you, could actually, uh, you could actually turn that on its, uh, on its head a little bit and, you know, you refer to him, everyone refers to him as a Manishkin leader because he's actually embarrassed about his first name because it's actually Marion. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea. Actually, yeah, maybe Gabriel, you know, Jason Carter's character can kind of reference that and he can just, like, Stand there seething, you know, wanting to kill somebody. <laughs> My mother called me Marion once. <laughs> once. I still can't get over that, you know, John Wayne, his first name's Marion. <laughs> oh, I know. It's just fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, back, back onto the uh, back onto the actual, uh, very, very quickly, um, there's a reference in your scene with uh with von Flaas. i'm just wondering if you're gonna go any further with that but it's you know it actually actually you know says that uh your, your character john is kind of like a descendant of uh robert e and e yeah and and i thought mm, where's this going because <laughs> I, I kind of thought that's that's kind of like an interesting reference there <laughs> you know is he yeah. is he proud of being the descendant of robert e and e or does he have sort of mixed feelings about it <laughs> I think um, the reason why I thought it was interesting to uh, to introduce it was because, you know, I think it's a I think it's a tale of redemption, and so to be like, you know, to be sort of like a glorious loser, you know, in the in the I guess the greatest American battle ever waged, you know, against ourselves, right? I think I, I just thought it would be kind of interesting that he had to sort of. You know, part of his journey is to sort of clear the family name, mm-hmm. even though it's I think it's so he it's definitely mixed feelings because at some point, you know, he's a hired gun. So these, you know, the black dragons are sort of like the um, what's the name of the uh, um, the private uh, guys that went over to like Afghanistan and like Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's these special ops guys who basically they need the, the work. So these corporations hire these special ops guys to you know carry out these missions. So I think John Lee is a little sort of um, he's at odds with sort of like the whole motivation for taking these gigs. But sort of in this world of the future where, you know, he's guys got to work, he's got to feed his family. Um, he takes the job. He sort of like goes through the implant procedures because he's sort of, you know, he has to perform. Um, So I think that the whole, you know, the Lee reference is basically, you know, eventually maybe he'll have the chance to sort of clear that sort of, you know, besmirched uh, label, um, you know, from losing that sort of, you know, incredible uh, civil war battle. I mean, I, I just found it quite interesting because up until the uh, up until the North got General Grant, Lee was kind of like the most successful general in in the Civil War. You know, so like if they hadn't got Grant, 
um, you know, it probably would have gone on for a X amount of more years, you know. Yeah, and I think that yeah, and I think you're you're probably right. I mean, I think he was actually, you know, probably a great general. Just, you know, I'm not such a Civil War buff, but you know, I think the odds were that I think in a, a longer sort of campaign, he probably would have been victorious. I think. Well, you know, I'm not. I'm not really a Civil War buff. I'm just like the only, the only thing I, I, the only reference I've got is I've actually read the uh, trilogy of books by John Jakes, North and South. So, and there's not uh, Civil War stuff in that. Uh huh. So, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I just, I just found that reference kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I think what what happened was when I was doing sort of like my, you know, when we went through that transition of you know me saying, all right, well, I've got to find some sort of uh, key into this character. When I took it over from the, uh, you know, the Asian American uh, guy Yuji, I was trying to figure out, you know, what would be something, sort of compelling to play, you know, to have that kind of legacy, in your your lineage, and you know, just kind of like imagining what what that burden must be like, you know, to, I guess, have to, you know, redeem, you know, it, is it a, you know, a redemption of, you know, the family name? Is it you know, I come from a more sort of, I guess, liberal background where, you know, I don't really understand that mindset. However, you know, if you're hang around these like military families, there's, I don't know, it's got to be, it's got to be a lot of pressure, <laughs> especially as a, as a guy to kind of like live up to, you know, whatever that, whatever that is. I mean, we all have it to some degree, you know, whether... I think when it's peppered with this sort of like military sort of backdrop, I think it it probably is even um, it's magnified, I'm sure. And I don't know if it's something that we really need to um, revisit, but um, I don't know. It's uh, I just found it a little compelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so like you, you could almost have a, have a have a bit of a spin off <laughs> within the movie where, where, you know, sort of like, you know, perhaps he's sent sent on some sort of quest. To redeem the family name, as it were. <laughs> well, I think that there's a possibility there. I mean, it's it's you know it's this sort of thing where you know my friend was Scott Gunderson, who's from the the other writer who's from the south. He said, "Come on, man." He said, "The south ain't never gonna let the Chinese come and take us over." <laughs> he says, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "All right," but I said, "Just go with it, would you, please?" <laughs> Legend has it, uh, General Robert E. E. lost a testicle at a brothel shortly after the war. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. John <laughs> uh, Lee and his quest to find the missing testicle <laughs> gives new new meaning to the you know that expression on the playground. It's my ball. <laughs> <laughs> what about that for a load of old bollocks? <laughs> so i guess uh so now what we're um, we're faced with is uh you know now we have to cast you know interesting parts like you know the omega man the thelios character that you know who knows maybe we can approach uh lavar down the road you know so it'll, it, it'll be interesting to see how it uh how it unfolds yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm quite I'm I'm hoping that you that you do actually manage to uh, raise the money to uh, to make this thing because um, I I really enjoyed the twenty minute the twenty minute shot and um, and by the end of it it left me wanting more. 
because ah. like I said it just seemed just seemed like too much of a perfect ending. I thought I was <laughs> like, sat there wondering when's your shoe gonna drop. <laughs> <laughs> it's that British side again. Tragedy, tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you know, what's pretty cool is that, you know, when you're shooting stuff like that, you know what, a, what those ghillie suits are, you know, a ghillie suit is that camouflage suit that, you know, just blends into the, uh-huh. um, you know, the terrain. Yeah, yeah those are pretty and cool. They, they certainly are. So, you know, whatever, you know, these, they're walking off into the sunset, you know, you can always just have one of those guys pop up and go, mm, not so easily. <laughs> I mean, these guys did it on the set, you know, where you're just kind of like, you know, guys sitting around for 20 minutes waiting to spook the crap out of someone. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> I was wearing one of those gimme suits and I was in hiding. I, I'd be making obscene gestures at people I don't like, you know, thinking, oh, they can't see me, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You've always got an out. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, as you've obviously found out, I've got quite a, I've got quite a sick sense of humor. So, <laughs> well, we need you on set then. <laughs> <laughs> there you go for those fourteen-hour days. What? Yeah, well, I, I used to be an actor, you know. <laughs> used to well, be. You're... All right. There you I, go. I, uh, I never went as far as getting headshots done. Um, I did a bit of fringe theatre, but then I kind of, kind of. Um, I won't say I, I kind of fell out of it. I just kind of, you know, fell into something else. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd love to sort of like do a bit again, but I won't do television or film because it's, you know, too much faffing around and saying the same line of dialogue over and over again for the sake oh, of I know, I know. Just do me head in. <laughs> and the one time I had to do that, I knew, I knew my dialogue, but it got to a point where I was doing it so many times that I'd begin to sort of like to drop words and, and, and forget. And where was he at now? And he needed the prompter, sort of thing. So I wasn't used to it. You know, I was just used to doing it one take in the theatre life, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that whole TV and the uh, movie thing, say, I've got a lot of respect for you guys that do it. You make it look easy, and it isn't. No, it is a it's a tedious, laborious kind of painstaking process. But, uh, you know, if you can keep it dynamic, I mean, that's what's interesting about, you know, maybe Mark's you experience this when when you have these handheld cameras and you're just kind of like winging it. All of a sudden it feels a little bit more uh, or just less stayed. And the whole process just feels like it's, you know, moving and a little more dynamic than I kind of remember it where you have a camera on sticks and just feels like all right let's you know i like the run and gun style of uh you know almost feels like guerrilla filmmaking uh-huh. yeah it's a big difference between independent film and big budget tv and film yeah and and also another thing that actors are challenged with versus on the theater is that you don't you don't do it in chronological order you have to break it down these little pieces and you could be all over the place chronologically and you kind of have to remember where you're at emotionally in that moment from each day you're doing your scenes, which is, I think... Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that's that different from theatre. So when you're rehearsing something in theatre, you do you do actually rehearse scenes out of order. So, mm. so you know, I wouldn't say that's that much of a challenge uh, because, you know, when you're rehearsing a play, you can rehearse scenes out of order and rehearse them in any order just to get the scene right. And it's only when you do the actual run-through, like the, like the full-on rehearsal, that, you, that you're doing it in order. So, you know... Mm. I'm not sure if you've experienced that. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think there are similarities. I think that it's um, it's more of a uh, it's almost like a uh, 
a psychological or emotional, like, uh, what do you call it? Like a organ organizing, you know, and you always have to keep it sort of like in your head and go, all right, how, how big was that moment before what's happening after? So I think, you know, it doesn't look very, very hard, but you're exhausted at the end of the day. And you're like, well, what the, what the hell was I doing that? I'm so, but it, it really is just trying to keep it in sort of in context, I guess, contextual order. And you know, and there's always uh, the challenge doing TV for theatre actors is uh, making everything smaller. Yeah. Because in theatre, everything has to be so big. You have to be able to sort of like you know project your voice to the point where the here, right, and the back in the uh, in the cheap seats. So whereas if you, if you do that, in, <laughs> it sounds, this is the voice of God. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, God. I get it. <laughs> And I and I it kind of slipped my mind a little bit because it, I'm so focused on your past and Earth Final Conflict. But you did a lot of soap opera work, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I imagine that's I don't know how you keep that kind of pace. Sometimes I don't know what tricks you you have to do because <laughs> you have like a, a pretty tight schedule for filming. Yeah, and I think that that um, I mean I I remember I just call that like chewing up scenery. Like you know I remember <laughs> doing some episode where <laughs> I played this this like this horribly like he was just a bad lawyer or something and he i wound up pulling this i think i pulled this girl's hair or something like that i kidnapped her and then i was pull, i was like this is just it's so over the top it was it was just it was absolutely just a great time cuz i couldn't believe how bad i was you know <laughs> and actually I think some of the guys, I, I just, uh, another part in a short film, and these guys, I didn't realize that some of this uh, soap opera stuff is on YouTube. And I went back and watched it, and I was like going, I, I didn't even think it was me. <laughs> and then I remember I had to do one scene one day, and I realized I, they had signed me to a six-month contract, and I really didn't understand the details. And what that means is, like, say they guarantee you a day and a half of work per week, for six months. Okay. If they finish the day and a half times, however many weeks that is, if they finish that early, you're considered done with your contract. So say it's, you know, 40 days total. Well, once it's done with the 40 days, you could be done with 40 days in, in maybe two or three months. And then they sort of like let you know that, oh yeah, this, this is your, like your last day or this year. And then I was really like genuinely pissed off. So I watched that scene and I'm like, Oh, I'm not acting. I'm just pissed that they like they're done with my character. <laughs> so, so I watched that scene and I'm just tearing up the scenery. I'm just, oh, I'm pissed. Because <laughs> I thought I had a steady paycheck for six months. And I was like, no, nah, there you go. You get like two and a half, three months and you're out. Uh, you know, maybe you're just too good of an actor for soaps. Well, that's what I was hoping. Yeah, that you know, you always you can always twist it some way. I'm just too damn talented, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm too damn good looking for that part. That's why I didn't get it. <laughs> you could have you could have just spent you know three months learning your lines or something, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should tell them I I have three testicles. Maybe that'll get me hired. <laughs> Yeah, that that'll probably get you on the sequel to Total Total Recall. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's harkening back to Liam Kincaid. He had triple helix, but he also, yeah, it gave him an extra testicle. 
Yeah, you know, so like uh, on on the soap opera where he's pulling that woman's hair and stuff like that, you you, you know, it was probably it's probably a Leon moment. You probably thought, oh, Tang on, cool, Tang on with hair, brilliant, payback. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, for the sake of those that are listening in, um, what what's the um, what's the website for the uh, for the Indiegogo campaign? Oh well, it's um. It's www.indiegogo.com forward slash God Machine. It's been interesting. You know, we're doing this campaign. Uh, we've learned a lot with this campaign. It's really a lot of, um, as you guys know, maybe publicity, you know, public relations with, you know, established channels. And so I think this first campaign has really been a learning curve, you know, with regards to Facebook, Twitter, all this other stuff. So I, I don't think we're really... Um, you know, we'd love to, you know, be able to pull off a miracle and, uh, you know, be able to make this. But, you know, this this will probably be a segue into our next campaign. We'll learn as we go. And, you know, I think we're just getting the word out. And, you know, we're real appreciative that you guys have, you know, taken the time to host us both at, you know, scifipulse.net and genretainment. And we just, you know, are really uh, learning as we go as well. So, you know, anything that we can do to help you guys would be, you know, our pleasure. Well, I will mention my show, SFP Now, as well, because this is kind of like a co-collaboration between Genretainment and SFP Now. Ah, okay. <laughs> They're both on scifipulseradio.com. So, you know, Matt, Matt and I have been doing this for a while. So, you know, we, we, we enjoy speaking to you guys. We we do try to support Kickstart projects when, when as and when we see them come up, you know. So yeah. we're, we're always open to, you know, try, trying to help out if we can. Uh, yeah, and as a, film, as a filmmaker, I know how challenging it is to get your, uh, your funding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, we'll just keep plugging and slugging. Well, we wish you luck on the project. It's been great having you on the show, Rob. It's been great so, like, having this chance to so, like, speak to you and um, you know talk to you about the project. And um, I, I, I'll keep the fingers crossed that you're able to make it and uh, you know we're able to see it down the road. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, too. And uh, thanks for really, uh, you know, what's so interesting is that for all the people who say they're going to help and back out, you know, there are rare, um, you know, few who, you know, basically show up out of nowhere like you guys. And, you know, you're just filled with the spirit. And, you know, I totally I totally appreciate, you know, you guys reaching out because, you know, the disappointment when people, I don't know what it is about their nature. It's like, yeah, you're, you're, sh- you're shaking your head. Yes. And I know I've given you about 40 hours of my free time and you're just not giving me anything. So when you guys show up, it's like a real treat and I really appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, have a good, uh, I guess, have a good night, Ian and uh, Mark's have a good rest of the day yourself. Okay. You too. Thank you. Thanks. All right, you guys. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.